Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Welcome to the Nerd Party. Hello, I'm Lee Hutchison, host of Filibuster, and I'm joining you for a little special announcement before we kick off uh, today's episode. Uh, if any of you follow us on social media, you'll have recently seen that we've been hit by a legal claim. Fortunately, we can't go into the specifics of the amount, but what they're asking for is less than it would cost to go to court, and they know that. But the nerd party is a not-for-profit, and it's just a group of nerds like myself, Tristan, Matt, Mike, everyone, just talking about nerdy things. We unfortunately don't have insurance for something like this, and we need your help to fight this and to battle this predatory legal practices that have hit us. This could happen to anyone. If you're listening and you've got a podcast, it could easily happen to you. If you're a listener of podcasts, it's very possible that your favourite show could be hit with something like this. The amount we're asking for will help go towards fighting that battle but every cent dollar anything will go towards that legal cost a lot of you have listened to the the nerd party for for several years and we've never asked for anything like this before usually we just ask for a share of a or a like on facebook or twitter or instagram whatever but today we're asking for something a bit more than that so anything that you can donate please go to gofundme.com forward slash the nerd party and use the hashtag TNPFight to spread the word. Help us out, it will truly make a difference. Now, enjoy the show. Let the filibustering begin! Welcome to Nerd Park. Hello and welcome to Filibuster. I'm your host for today's interview, Lee Hutchison. I'm really excited to bring you today's interview. It's with actor Dominic Keating. I'm sure that name rings a bell for many of our listeners who probably are Star Trek fans. Dominic Keating played Malcolm to fourth seasons of Star Trek Enterprise as a stiff upper Brit security officer. And boy, did he play that role well. So uh, we sat down today at the Edinburgh Comic Con for a 10 minute chat. We chatted about Star Trek, how the role came about, projects he's working on and things to keep an eye out for in the near future. Hope you'll enjoy today's episode. And if you did, you know, make sure to check us out on Facebook for where we'll be updating on things that are coming out. So that's Facebook forward slash The Nerd Party, Twitter at Join Nerd Party, Instagram, The Nerd Party. And you can find out everything that we've got going on there from competitions to forthcoming interviews, podcasts that are dropping, everything. So check out there. Hope you'll enjoy today's show. Bye. Yeah, so thank you. Thank you very much for, for joining me. So, obviously, we're here in Edinburgh. Earlier on, you were giving a talk about sort of you have a bit of an acting origin here in Edinburgh, you know, your involvement with the Pleasants. What's it kind of like being back in Edinburgh again? It's great fun. Um, it's probably been 30 years. I'm going to age myself a bit here. Uh, yes, it's great to be back in Edinburgh. Um, it's been about 30 years since I've been here. I did a play when I first came up to set up the Pleasants Theatre when it, its first year which I think was about 86, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, 1986, that is, people. <laughs> and, uh, and then I came back and did uh, two seasons, uh, one with a big hit play with Tim Spall, 
called Screamers. And then uh, the following year, what was that other piece we did? I can't think what it was called now. It wasn't quite so well attended. But, uh, but yeah, it's lovely to be back. It's a great friendly town. And I met some people last night. Went bar hopping a bit. One of the best things about Edinburgh. One thing I'm kind of curious about, we've had Star Trek writers and we've had Robert Picardo on before. And one thing I've always thought with Star Trek, and I'm a huge fan of it, is that getting a role in Star Trek is almost like winning the lottery in a way. You know, you, you can, it opens so many doors and opportunities and, you know, people almost you know, view the actors almost like they're probably presidential people and stuff like that. What was it like for yourself, that moment of, like, going from auditioning to, right, that's you've got the role and now you put on the kind of famous costume? That was... Uh yeah, it was. It was friends. Of, friends of mine asked me if I was excited. I'd been in LA about seven years, and I'd had some success. Uh, I, you know, I wasn't having to wait tables uh, to get by, but uh, but it'd been. You know, it was single white man living, uh, is what I used to call it. But uh, yeah, people asked me if I was. You know, were you really excited to get that job? And I was. I was more relieved in the end uh, that the, the waiting and the you know it had paid off. And as you say, you know, we, st- we signed a seven-year contract, mm-hmm. which for most shows in Hollywood don't know if they're going to make it past episode four. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, we didn't do seven years, uh, but we still got syndication. And, uh, and I never questioned that. It was, um, I mean, the house I ended up buying, the house that Trek built, my accountant, you know, was very nervy. I mean, laying out quite such a lot of cash early on into, you know, we were only 18 months into the run at that point. And uh, I never, and when I look back, it was a bold move. It paid off for me financially. I mean, I, I extended myself a bit further than I might have done. But I was, I never questioned the fact that we weren't going to do seven years. Mm-hmm. He was much more, honey, this is Hollywood, and yeah. you might close in four episodes. Uh, there's no guarantees, but I, yeah, you're right. I mean, it was it was like winning the lottery, and then everything that comes with it. Not least this other appendage. I'd seen the documentary Trekkies, so I knew about the convention world, and uh, I was the first cast member out of the gate on our cast to go do these things. A couple of my castmates were a little snotty at first, like, "Oh my God, you're going to do those." I think Patrick Stewart had the same I remember to be in an interview with him where he was like well, I'm not going to go do those things and all the other cast would and now you see him he'll go to these events and oh, I've seen yeah. them yeah I know how much they pay Patrick <laughs> <laughs> absolutely they see the green room rider and it's yeah. like well maybe I will go oh yeah uh, and look in, you know not so the fans think this is all about cash it doesn't hurt but it's lovely to meet the, the fans and, uh, and, and and feel the love you know if I don't sound too cliched or, or, you know, yeah. Because one thing, I, I've seen you at a few conventions now, and I think one thing I always notice, whether it's yourself or any other enterprise cast, for example, the feedback always was, it's a show that ended too soon, and in particular with yourself and Connor you two were almost the heartbeat of the show. This relationship you built you. was one of the people's favourite things of the show, you know, it had all these CGI, but for you it was that... Thank you, buddy. That's very kind of you to say so. Obviously, what was it like building that relationship? Was it something that kind of the writers maybe saw in you two together and went, let's write around that, that's goals that they've got there, or is it something that being written together in episodes like Shuttlepod 1 kind of forced you together? It was, uh, we did one scene early on together, and, and I'll say Connor and I are still best friends uh, all these years later, um, and we just liked each other from the read-through, uh, and it the one scene I forget where what it was but the they, you know writers are looking especially on episodic TV 
they're looking for what they can write for and they saw this chemistry between mm -hmm. myself and Connor and they picked up on it and uh, they ran with it and before we knew it we would it was the end of season one we got to do shuttle pod one and uh, and we never looked back and um, yeah and I thank you for, for saying such kind words about it was great he's a great actor Connor he really is and uh, um, we as you say we the heartbeat of the show I like that yeah, I'll take yeah. it you, you can put that on your LinkedIn profile absolutely I'm curious as well like you, you were talking about the writers there obviously sort of halfway through there's a bit of a change what was sort of your relationship like with say Brandon and Rick who were have been involved with Star Trek for so long was there kind of nerves about maybe approaching them with some ideas and then someone like Manny Cotto comes along you know new in the door do you feel like oh I can maybe sort of have a word in his ear you know something I felt was maybe missing from the first two seasons I can sort of have a chat with him and get that changed I uh I had a, I had a, the, the luxury of playing the English guy on this show was because they were quite precious about what they'd written, if I can call it that. Yeah. Um, I remember shooting an early scene with quite a lot of dialogue and thinking, I nailed that. And then you know they cut, let's go again. I was like, really? And then the script lady came over, Jan, and she said, So Dominic, you said Anne instead of Arv, you said Buck instead of If. You said, I'm like, you're kidding, right? Yeah. She went, Oh no. Not on this show, and it was uh, oh my word! They were they were pretty precious about what they'd written. Uh, but the luxury I got was as the English guy, I could ring up Brandon and go, British guy wouldn't say that. Uh, yeah, yeah, you're the, you're the expert there, isn't it? <laughs> and I did get some leeway, and I got to say some extra stuff, or cut. I got to play with my part a bit more structurally than than Connor certainly was allowed to do, and uh, so. Um, and and I pitched a couple of episodes. They were open to you know they've been doing this a long time, and they were open to any kind of ideas. None of mine got taken up. I'm afraid to say, I didn't get I didn't get the the reward for it. Yeah. But no, I took a couple of pitch meetings with Brandon. Yeah. What kind of ideas did you have? Was it kind of really heavy episodes where you're one like, I'm going to make myself the star here? One was I remember one was very much about uh, an eco saving a planet's ecosystem. Seems a very Star Trek idea. And I and I thought it was a pretty good idea. Brandon thought it was a bit pre preachy. I remember him saying. <laughs> Imagine someone saying, a Star Trek episode preachy. That yeah, sounds like really, it's like a like, That's a bit rich. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, and I can't remember what the other one was about now. I forget. It's a long, you know, it's 16. Where are we? 2018 now. I mean, I it's nearly 18 years. Yeah. It's 18 years since we started the show. 17 years. 2001 we did it. Yeah, and then, what, 2004 yeah. sort of it came yeah. to its end and its prime. So, oh, my God! <laughs> I know, it's, we're aging ourselves here. So after kind of Star Trek's ended, sort of like you were talking there about an interest in writing, is that something you could see yourself perhaps doing one day, you know? I think in the talk early you said that you were going to return to sort of England. Could you see yourself sort of writing a, a one-man play, for example? You know, I think you've performed at the Fringe before. Oh, if I had a dollar for every time friends of mine I said, Dominic, you need to sit down and write something. I'm a good storyteller. Um, I don't know, mate. It's a lot of work. It freezes me up inside. And then, you know, I've sat down in front of a blank computer screen once or twice and then a friend rings up and says, do you want to go play 18 holes of golf? And I'm like, yep! <laughs> Quite right. And then, so have you, what kind of projects are you working on at the moment? I know you were uh, talking about a few of them earlier on, and some of them sounded quite exciting in the Iliad. Kind of, how did all these sorts of come around? So I came over to do a film here just now, where, um, starring Derek Jacobi, Sir Derek Jacobi. Mm -hmm. uh, it's called Amsterdam Secrets, and uh, I've got a nice co-star role in that, playing a bank manager. 
to the young lad who is the, uh, the star of the movie. Um, and then I just finished a movie in LA called Maternal Instincts, uh, which is a, a thriller about abducting babies and selling them on the black market to uh, rich European families. And I play the rather unsalubrious uh, leader of a Russian mob gang. Yeah. Um, so it's Mr. Sergei. <laughs> he was a yeah, pretty, pretty nasty character, but a lot, a lot of fun to play him. Um, and uh, what else? I'm auditioning next week for... There's a new BBC, I think, adaptation of uh, Les Miserables. Oh, right. That's one of yeah. my favourite uh, kind of plays that? and musical. It's going to star Dominic West as Jean Valjean. Oh, wow. And I've got a good, good part for a good audition for that next week. So, Are you, Will you be singing in that one? No, it's, it's, uh, it's not a... It's oh. the, uh, the straight uh, dramatic version. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. And then uh, just kind of finally, like the Iliad that you kind of recently oh, sort of yes. finished writing, uh, performing that, one of the few Brits to ever sort of do it. How did that kind of come around? What Obviously you do quite a lot of voice work. How did sort of those two come together? I do do quite a bit of voice work and uh, God bless um, my the agents that handle me. Uh, there was a wonderful woman called Professor Caroline Alexander that had uh, finished, uh, spent five and a half years taking time on this translation of I think the Iliad. make you feel bad about not writing your own play now. I tell you. <laughs> uh, for she, she, she loves this uh, story and um, she's done a beautiful translation of it. Uh, I didn't know anything about the Iliad really other than it was written by Homer and there's another one called The Odyssey. That's about as much as I knew. Uh, I now have looked at a several of these Iliad uh, translations and listened to one or two of the audio versions. There are four in the world, and I'm now the fourth. I think there were another fifth or the fourth. I forget I what it is. More men have been on the moon then. then so this. yes, I agree. Uh, um, and uh, it was an amazing journey. And uh, they picked. She picked my. Listen, Caroline listened to some voices and. She picked my voice out of the hat. It was wow. it was like a real another lottery win. God bless me. Yeah, it really was. Um, it's, I, without doubt, it's it's right up there with some of the stuff I'm most proud of in a in a long long career. Oh, and, con- uh, congratulations and thank you so much for, for giving you. up your time today. And good luck next week. Thank you, buddy. Join the revolution. Join the nerd party.